Well, a number of years ago, Sue and I uh, left the kids at, uh, at home and went to Florida, I think Fort Lauderdale area, for like a, it was one of those little winter getaways, just the two of us. And while we were there, I said to Sue, uh, which is sort of unusual for me to say, I said, oh, let's, uh, let's go on a fishing cruise, a fishing trip in the mornings. And that's unusual because I don't really like fishing. And this should have been a marriage moment where my wife should have said, Jeff, you don't like fishing. I don't like fishing. This is not a good idea. But she's so gracious. She agreed and said, sure, that sounds great. And so what I had sort of pictured in my mind was we were going to get there. There was this nice boat. There were going to be people just like us. We were going to go out into the Atlantic Ocean there. We're going to sit around. We're going to talk. We're going to meet friends. And we're going to catch a big fish like this that would be so wonderful, you know, to put on Facebook or something like that. So that was my vision. It was a great vision. It was going to be a wonderful trip. We arrived where we were going to go out. And it wasn't, you know, sort of a nice boat. It was sort of this grimy old tugboat that we were going to be on. And then there was really no one there like us. Most of the people there, and I would describe them using sort of a literary figure um, for us, is like a Captain Ahab, you know, sort of older, grouchy men. They were very nice. They weren't rude to us or anything, but they were just sort of in their own category, Captain Ahab, and there was a whole bunch of them. And I sort of realized, oh, this is who gets up early in the morning to go fishing. Captain Ahab, people that like fish. So there's Sue and I, and then the only people like us was a grandmother, our grandfather and the granddaughter. So we sort of hooked up with them because we're in the category of people that really don't go on fishing trips early in the morning. So we got on this little tugboat and we headed out and the captain had said, oh, there might be rough seas, but we enjoyed sort of being in the bay and, you know, seeing the nice homes from the uh, shore, you know, you could see what was going on. And then we got out in the water and as we got out in the water, that rough seas was a very true statement. In fact, I saw on the Captain Ahab fishermen, many of them had a look on their face like, oh, wow, this is some real waves here. And I sort of thought, oh, if they're concerned about the waves, I'm feeling quite concerned. And so we got out there to the spot we were supposed to be. And he said, okay, now you can go out. And they gave us the fishing stuff and everything. And we went out there and very quickly realized that these waves were not going to make for a great fishing experience. And we were about 30 minutes on that side. And then the granddaughter, we were with the grandfather. The granddaughter, she threw up. And then somehow Sue decided that she was going to take the granddaughter. And the grandfather didn't know what to do with her. And then they went on the other side of the boat. Sue had this theory that if she kept her eyes focused on the shore, she would not throw up. That did not work out well for her. So, uh, and me and the grandfather, we stayed on the other side of the boat and tried to fish for the next two and a half hours while not trying to throw up. No one, no one, not even any of the Captain Ahabs caught a fish the entire time. And then we went back into shore, fishing trip over, marking in our journals, never do this again. But the learning, the one moment where, and Sue and I talked about this last night, we remembered, and she said it, and I remember the moment, was when we got out there, and the waves are going, and it's just awful, and you can see the shore, and it was this learning of, we've made a terrible mistake, right? And you just feel so helpless, right? Like, the shore, everyone on shore, it looks like they're having fun, Right? They're, they're in steady. They're, they're not being rocked around. And here we are in this boat, and you're just feeling the wind and the waves, and you just felt utterly helpless. It's like you're longing for shore. Could we please get to shore? And it was a long time. The clock never ticks slower than that next two and a half hours. The reason I mention that today, that's sort of my literal storm story, 
And you might say, well, Jeff, you chose that. We did, never do it again. Uh, but uh, sometimes if you sort of move now from the, the real life storms to the figurative storms, here's the thing we all know. There are storms that come into our lives and we don't choose them at all. They just come sometimes very unexpectedly and it's the same emotion, sort of helpless and longing for shore or longing for still waters. Help me get out of this, Lord. And Jesus said in this world, we would have trouble. So we know something about storms. We know them. They come into our lives. For some, it can be a job storm, a financial storm, a career storm. For others, it can be a health storm, a diagnosis, the death of someone or our own death. It can be relational storms and conflicts. It can be all sorts of things. And someone might say to you, well, that storm's not that big of a deal. But you're like, for me, this is big. In fact, to me, this is swamping me. In fact, it feels like in the midst of this storm, I can go under. And so for those here this morning, maybe you're here today because you're in the midst of a storm and you said, I got to get back to church. I got to be here. For some of you watching online, you may be at home and not here because you're in the midst of a storm, but you're tuning in to say, what God, what might you say? And just like uh, Sue's theory was, let's keep our eye on the shore and it will help. Here's the question we come to. What are the constants that we can keep our eyes focused on? What do we sort of, what are the truths that we hang on to in the midst of a storm to help us make it through? And so that's my hope and prayer today. As we go through this story of Jesus in a literal storm, that we will come away, that each of you will come away with some truths that you can say, I can hang on to these things in the midst of my current storm, in the midst of a storm that comes. Here's what I know. Here's what I can hang on to. So we're continuing in the book of Luke. It's chapter 8, verse 22. Sure hope you've got your Bibles. You're going to want to follow along. So open them up, turn them on. Let's get to Luke 8, verse 22 together. And while you're finding that, my name's Jeff Bennett. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Harbor. Welcome to each one of you today and to our Harbor online community. Watching now at a later time, just a special welcome to you. So glad you're a part of our church and all that God is doing here. So what I'll do is we'll just uh, read through this one verse at a time, and then each verse we'll just have sort of a truth, an idea that in the midst of storms we can hang on to that stabilizes us. So it's Luke 8, 22. Here's what it reads. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. Sort of an average day here. We know that it's at least 13 people in the boat. The disciples, Peter and Andrew, who are brothers, James and John, uh, all four of them fishermen. They could be heading out right from Capernaum, right there on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. So this could have been one of their boats that they're heading on to, to go to a spot uh, somewhere across the lake, a quiet spot there. Uh, the Sea of Galilee, just a little geography so you understand what's going to happen here, is about 700 feet below sea level. So it has some banks and hills around it. And then further north, there's mountains. And so if the wind blows in Israel from north to south, it's going to blow through the mountain gorges and then come along in a stream and then dip down into the Sea of Galilee. So with that kind of wind all condensed, the weather on the Sea of Galilee can change very quickly. And the Sea of Galilee is maybe, is, is more like a lake. It's not that large. 
And so you can just imagine, and that's what we're going to see happen here, suddenly the weather changes very quickly. And the disciples, who are experienced fishermen, four of them, this is going to be new for them. They've never experienced anything like this before, or very rarely, because we see their reaction. But if you understand all of that, let me just start. Go back to what it said in verse 22. Look down. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Isn't that interesting? Who's leading here? Who's taking the initiative? Who's saying, let's go? It's Jesus. And, it, and we know Jesus is fully God. And so therefore we can know that he knew a storm was coming. He's not surprised by the storm. He's taking them out. This is a purposeful journey, and he wants to teach his disciples something. He knows what's coming, and he has designed something for them. So here's the first idea that I want to mark as we read verse 22. Jesus leads us into storms. Jesus leads us into storms. Jesus has a purpose and a plan here for his disciples, and he wants to teach them, and we're going to see that unfold today. And for some of you, you need this perspective today to be reminded of God's purpose and plan in the midst of your storm. I had this quote in my notes. I don't know who it's from, but it's a good quote, so let me read it for you. It is beneath the dignity of Jesus to take us around a storm when he could take us through a storm. It's beneath the dignity of Jesus to take us around a storm because he has the ability to bring us through a storm. Now, when we're talking about Jesus leading us into a storm, what we, one qualification, what we're not talking about is that we have sinned, we have disobeyed God, and we are paying the consequences for our sin. That's not Jesus leading us into a storm. That's us disobeying him and paying the consequences for that. It's slightly different. The rest of the principles still could apply, but the first one, we wouldn't say Jesus has led us into that storm. Those are our self-inflicted consequences. But at times... A storm can be someone else's sin, someone else's decision in their lives, and suddenly that then affects us and comes into our lives. If I was to say to you, give me a picture of the Christian life, just give me a metaphor for what the Christian life is like, the Christian experience. Again, if you think about that in biblical terms, there's so many great metaphors. Think of Psalm 23, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. What a great picture of our good shepherd. You know, he makes us lie down in green pastures. We're resting. If you're a sheep, there's all this great grass you can eat and rest and be filled. And then at the end of Psalm 23, he prepares a banqueting table for us. There's a feast. There's fellowship. There's together. It's both now and forevermore. It's a wonderful picture. Last week, we talked about being good soil, soil that produces a crop and multiplies out. That's a wonderful picture. It's the picture of bearing fruit and bearing much fruit. Again, a great picture. There's the picture of a race and finishing well. There's the picture of being adopted into the family of God. All of these are such wonderful pictures for our Christian experience. But today we come to this experience. It's the experience of a storm. It's the one we often don't want or don't think of. But yet part of what Jesus is teaching here is that in our lives, he leads us into storms. And as we learn this, here's what sometimes we get in a storm. Here's what we pray. Lord, get me out of this. Just get me out. That's the prayer. Lord, fix this. This is not the right analogy. I'd prefer green pastures or calm waters or something else. But Lord, get me out of this. And may I suggest a second prayer for you. A second prayer to consider. It's hard to pray this prayer. 
But here it is, as we recognize that Jesus leads us into storms. Lord, help me to see that you have placed me in this storm for a purpose. And help me to learn all that I need to learn. The prayer is simply this. God, help me to see that you've led me here for a purpose, for a reason. And help me to learn to take in all that you want me to learn. All that you want me to receive in that moment. So that's our first idea from Psalm 22. Jesus takes us into storms. Look down to, sorry, verse 22. Look down to verse 23. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. So here's the storm. It's a big squall, rain, wind, waves. It looks like the boat is going to get swamped. So there's a lot of water coming in it. And Luke records they were in great danger. They're in peril here. And then I love what Jesus is doing. Do you see the beginning of the verse there? As they sailed, Jesus falls asleep. He's sleeping. In fact, this is, I think, the only place in Scripture where it is actually recorded that Jesus sleeps. We certainly assume he slept many times, every night. But here, we see him, this is the first recorded time of that. There's Jesus. The squall comes down, and he's just calmly, peacefully resting there as this violent storm is tossing around the boat. And I think there's two things we can learn from Jesus here. One is, it's just a wonderful picture of his humanity. He's exhausted. He's tired. He's been doing a lot of people ministry. And he gets in that boat and takes a little break. And he's resting well. But yet sometimes, again, this is what the disciples were thinking. They're looking in on Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, you are not the right Jesus. This is the wrong Jesus in this moment. You're supposed to be awake and you're supposed to be helpful. Right? That's what we want from you, Jesus, in the midst of a storm. You are not operating like you should. And see, we often think that, okay, Jesus, if you agree with me on the first point, God leads us into storms. But then we think, Jesus, if you've led me into a storm, here's the kind of God you need to be in the midst of the storm. And it's not a sleeping one. It's different. And sometimes we can feel like God is just absent or he's silent or he's unresponsive or he's abandoned us or he's just not being the type of God we think he should be in the storm. But here's the reminder, here's the truth from this second verse that I want to give you. Jesus takes us into storms, leads us there, but he is present in our storms. It's just a reminder that even though he's not the Jesus we want him to be, or we want him to be a different Jesus, he is still present there. And I think we learn here about Jesus. Yes, he's exhausted, but he's also just got complete confidence in God's loving care of him. He knows the storm's coming, and he can just rest and trust in God. So some of you know this kind of sleep. Mums, you probably know it especially well, where you're sleeping, but you've got one ear open, right? If there's a little noise, something happens, you're up, and you're like, what's that? You're on alert, right? You know that kind of sleep. This is not Jesus' sleep here. He's just knocked out. He's sleeping soundly, and not even the wind and the waves can wake him up. Why? He's just resting and trusting in the Father's care for him. He knows that no harm can come for him, come to him. He's trusting in God's secure and sovereign power to watch over him. And it's a wonderful example for us as storms come into our lives to say, Jesus, help me be like you. Help me just be able to trust you knowing that you are present. And here's what we know, and we often don't like it. But it is the truth. 
is that oftentimes in the midst of storms is when we grow the most. When our faith accelerates, where we live out our vision to live deep, where we grow deeper in our faith, where we know God more. It's often in the storms of life where we learn these lessons. And I know I've had people say to me at times, I never would want to go back to that time in life. And then they've said, but I wish I could go back because I felt so close and connected to God during that time. And many of you know what I mean, that tension between those moments. But that's what the storm does. It reminds us that God is there with us, even though he may not be operating in the way we think he should operating. Storms take us deeper into the grace of God. Here's a quote that I read this week. It simply says this, without storms, we would be insufferably self-centered, proud, flat, dimensional, empty people. And so we realize the value of storms in our lives and how God uses those. So Jesus leads us into storms. Jesus is present with us in our storms. Look down to verse 24. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, we are going to drown. And I get what's going on here. This is full panic mode. Right, this is, they are in a crisis right now. Jesus, the boat's going under and we are going to die. They literally feel like that. They are yelling at each other. There's the wind, the waves, the water coming over. You could just imagine the panic scene, right? The fishermen are probably struggling hard. You know, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they're trying to do whatever they can do to keep this boat moving forward. They're yelling at Matthew, Matthew, do something. He's like, I'm a tax collector. We're not used to this kind of stuff. I'm doing my best, right? And then they say, Matthew, just wake up Jesus then. Just get him up, you know? And Matthew yells at Jesus. They're all, you just know how this is, right? They're just totally panicked. They're yelling at each other. And here's the third thing that we'll mark as we just sort of note what's going on here in this story. Our storms display what is in our heart. Our storms display what is in our heart. It's just coming out of them. Jesus, we are going to die. In fact, when Mark records this story, one interesting thing to note about the book of Luke, he's a lot softer on the disciples than Matthew and Mark are. Matthew, because he was a disciple, and Mark, probably because he was influenced so heavily by Peter in the writing, they're much harder on themselves as disciples. Luke always makes it more gracious. But in, in the book of Mark, Mark records this. They said to him, don't you care if we're going to drown? It wasn't just Jesus, we're going to drown. It's Jesus, you don't care about us. You're asleep. You have no concern over our lives and we're going under. And you can certainly see this play out in other places in the Bible, right? Where a storm just reveals. That's what we so like about the book of Job. The realness of that. So many Psalms. How the storm is displaying, putting out, bringing out, unveiling what is in our hearts. For those of you here last week, we talked about four types of soil. Three types you didn't want to be and, and one type you did. The first soil was the hard soil and, you know, rejected God's truth. The second soil was the shallow one. The roots never got deep down. The third soil was the weedy soil and it was to eliminate the weeds out of our lives. But be that good soil. Let the truth of God sink into us. And then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now you can almost imagine the disciples. This is not recorded in scripture, but they're getting in the boat. Okay, everyone, he who has ears to hear, let them hear, right? The disciples talking back to the crowd. We're the good soil here, guys. And all of you folks out there, 
please, you know, work on, don't be hard, you know, soften your hearts, you know, get your roots deep down, you know, saying that to them, oh, eliminate weeds, ruthlessly eliminate distractions, the disciples saying that to the crowd. Because the tension is we always think we're the good soil. We think it's got deep down in our hearts and it's other people that need to work on that. And now Jesus has designed a take-home exam for them, right? You're going to get to see if you're good soil or not, right? He's taking them out into this storm. And you'd almost say, you know, the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, we didn't know there was a test, you didn't tell us this was coming. We, we had the lesson. We were telling other people. We didn't know the test was coming. This is like the co-op term, right? You spend a, a semester in class, and now Jesus is saying, now we got a private lesson. We're going out on the lake, and we're going to see where your faith is. And here's what we note, right? The storm displays where their level of their faith, what is in their heart. And here's what we learn. Here's what we learn as you're thinking about that. Don't underestimate the depth of your faith. Don't underestimate it. Or don't overestimate it, sorry. Don't overestimate the depth, right? That at times we need to be ready. And they thought they were probably, because we all think we're good soil, but they really weren't. So here's the prayer. Here's the prayer. God, as you might bring the storms my way, may I be ready May I be ready. John Piper has written a book. I love the title of the book. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your suffering. And the point of that is when God leads you into storms, be ready to live for the glory of God in those moments. And so if you're not in a storm now, life just has a way. They come every so often. For some of you, you're thinking about a storm you're in the midst of now. For others of you, you may be thinking, and this is not for everyone, but some of you may be pondering your own death or your approaching death. And here would be the prayer. Here's how I wrote it down, even as you're thinking about that. May my last days, may the storm of my last days bring you great glory, God. May I go deep in you so, Lord, I finish well. And people see my life demonstrates a faith and a trust in you. Here, here's a dangerous prayer, a dangerous prayer, but it's the right prayer. God, use me and my life as a way to bring great glory to your name, no matter what, no matter the cost. God, use my life in a way to bring great glory to your name, no matter what happens, no matter the cost. And just praying that prayer reminds us that our lives are part of a bigger story, bigger story. We think we're the main character. We're not. God is the main character. He gets all the glory. And so God, help me to live my life in a way that points to you and gives you the glory. So Jesus leads us into storms. Jesus is present in our storms. And our storms display what is in our heart. Look down to the next verse. Here's what happens. He got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. I love this. In a word, it's calm. The storm subsides. It's over. I think it's the idea that it wasn't like even rolling waters just instantly the lake is totally calm with a word. Jesus just says it and everything is still. And then he asks such a great question. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? It's such a wonderful question. I've sort of been pondering how Jesus asked that. 
And certainly some of us, we would take advantage to be a little bit sarcastic. Like, oh yeah, you think you're good soil, guys. Yeah, and they'd be like, no, no, Jesus. You know, but I don't think that was the case. I think he asks the question almost in a way where they already know the answer. It's out of a heart of love for them. And he's calling them, guys, where is your faith? But in his heart, he's calling them to place deeper faith in himself. And the thing about storms is this. It gives us real clarity on where we stand. It gives us real clarity on what our faith is in. What are we truly trusting in? So here's the fourth idea. Our storms strengthen our faith. Or at least our storms have the potential to strengthen our faith. But our storms are designed to strengthen our faith. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Where is your faith? And he's calling them to have more faith in himself. There's two ways you can look at this. Two ways we can sort of learn this principle. And maybe, again, some of you are watching online because a storm has come into your life and you can't leave the house but, and for whatever reason, but you're tuning in. Or some of you are here. You've come back to church today because there's a storm. Here's what we can often learn in storms. Here's what can happen. We can say, God, I've lived my life independently of you. God, and I can be the captain of my own ship. I've got talent, abilities, family, money, intellect, connections, whatever it is. And we can just say, God, I can live my life independently of you. And we know we've done that to God. God, I'm just fine. I've got it. You just stay on the shore. I'm good. I can lead my own life. And then God brings along a storm. And suddenly we realize in the midst of a storm, everything we have put our confidence in is gone. It's just all stripped away. And we need a big God. And we don't have a big God. We left him back on the shore. And we know we did. And we come to a moment where everything else is gone. And we think, the only thing I need is God right now in my life. And here's the good news. If God brings you to that point, just humbly acknowledge that reality that you're not able to be the captain of your own ship, that everything you would put your confidence in is not enough and just turn to him. And sometimes we can think, oh, but I've strayed away. I've abandoned him. I did all of this. Will he welcome me back? And let me say it. What God never despises is a humble and contrite heart. What he always welcomes is when we humbly acknowledge our independence of him and come to him, he always welcomes us. Luke, you said it so well in your baptism testimony. I wrote it down here. Luke, he said, his grace is a gift. It is given freely no one is deserving of it. We all have lived independently of God, but yet God still in his grace gives us a gift and he gives it freely. And so if you, a storm has come into your life and you've never trusted in Christ, wouldn't today you come and just humbly acknowledge the state of your life and say, Jesus, I need you to be the captain of my ship. I just surrender to you. And here's the way you know if you're really there. When you say, Jesus, I'm coming and I'm trusting in you. I need a big God, forgive me for what I've done. And if you never take this storm away, if nothing ever changes, is this, this like this for the next 20 years, it will be enough because I will have you. I will have you. And sometimes we come and we say, okay, God, I'll come to you. If you fix everything, we really haven't come to rock bottom then. When we just come and say, God, all I need is you. And in those moments, he comes into our lives and it's not quite strengthening our faith, but he's beginning our faith, establishing our faith. So for some of you, wouldn't today, you just trust in Christ in the midst of your storm. 
But for many others of you, God is using a storm or does use a storm to strengthen your faith, to draw you closer to him. And let me just share a story from a Russian author, if I can try to pronounce his name well. His name is Alexander Solunitsyn. And uh, again, some of you may be familiar with his works. He won a Nobel Peace Prize for literature. But in the Second World War, he was in a Siberian work camp. And in this work camp, uh, they said they just, the, the labor was just back-breaking. And he, was, he always lived sort of near starvation. And he said, you know, day after day after day, just the hopelessness began just to set upon you. And as much as my little story at the beginning about feeling hopeless and helpless, he said, it just got to a point where you just could not bear it anymore. And he said he got to a point where he just put down a shovel and he sat on a bench. And really, he knew to sit on the bench and stop working could cost him his life. But he said, I just didn't care anymore. I was just at the end of my rope. And then he said, as he sat down there, he felt a presence next to him. And he looked over and it was an older man. And the old man had a stick. And he just simply, the old man took his stick and began to draw in the sand. And what he drew was a cross in the sand. And then Chuck Colson records what happened in that next moment. As he stared at that rough outline of the cross, his entire perspective shifted. He knew he was really one man against the all-powerful Soviet empire, but yet in that moment, he also knew the hope of all mankind was represented by that simple cross. And through its power, anything, everything was possible. He slowly got back up, picked up his shovel, and went back to work, not knowing that his writings on truth and freedom would one day impact the entire world. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of God's truth. In the midst of a storm, we see the simple cross. We see that it is the hope of all mankind. And it enables us to stand against hopeless odds. That's the story. That's how God strengthens our faith. So Jesus leads us into storms. Jesus is present with us in storms. Jesus uses storms to reveal or display what's in our heart. And Jesus uses storms to strengthen our faith. We're coming to the end of the story. Look down in your Bibles. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. I love how the mood has changed quite quickly in this boat. Right? They're in full panic mode, screaming at each other. And now they're like, wow, this is amazing. Who is this guy? Right? There's just been from despair to astonishment so quickly. They're probably thinking in their hearts a little bit, oh, we should have known Jesus would do something like this. Why didn't we figure this out? Why didn't we think of this earlier? But then they ask the right question. Right? And this is where Jesus has led them in the story. This is the point of the story. You see the question they're asking, who is this? And they're just only beginning to realize who Jesus is. But Jesus is using this experience, this storm, to reveal himself to them. And so here's the fifth idea. Our storms reveal his glory. Our storms are designed to reveal his glory. And that's what Luke is purposely doing here. He wants his readers to be addressing who is this Jesus? What is his identity? And he's trying to keep that before them. And last week I said we've started a new series simply called Who Do You Say That I Am? 
So the series started last week with Jesus teaching on the four soils and saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And you're like, okay, Jesus, what do you want us to hear? Well, the series is going to end with Jesus saying this, who do you say that I am? This time the disciples are asking the question at the end of the series, and Luke writes it this way, Jesus is going to be asking them, who do you say that I am? Now, he could have just asked them right away, but he's going to give them some evidence all along the way. And here's Luke's first, or here's Jesus' first piece of evidence that Luke is giving. Here's what the piece of evidence is. This man has power over nature. That's the first check. Wonder who that could be. Now, again, we already know the answer. He's God in the flesh. But the disciples, they're just figuring it out. And so what we're going to see over these next weeks is these different pieces of evidence so that they can know, be able to answer the question, who do you say that I am? And then the whole book of Luke changes after that declaration. So that's the ultimate purpose of this and of this section we're in, to reveal the glory of Jesus. That's the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose, and again, there's certainly good lessons in here about our faith and growing in our faith and those we should take to heart, but it's not the ultimate purpose. The ultimate lesson is not go home and have more faith. That's not the ultimate lesson. Here's why I know that's not the ultimate lesson. Because Jesus didn't arrive in Jerusalem about a year and a half later from this moment. And on the last weekend of his life, didn't stand up in the temple and say, okay, everyone, my life's here. You know, I'm going to ascend to heaven. Last final word, have more faith. And everyone said, oh, let me write that down. Let me get that. That's good, Jesus. That's what we're going to do. We know that's not how the story ended. With Jesus just giving a lecture saying, have more faith. In fact... When the story ends, this story is reversed. Here we have Jesus sleeping and the disciples saying to him, Jesus, you've let us down at a very crucial moment. We almost died. But think forward, what happens? The story's reversed. We see the disciples are sleeping and we see Jesus is awake in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, sweating like it's drops of blood coming off of him. And that was his moment of greatest need. His death would be less than 24 hours away. And so as you look forward, what you see at the end of Jesus' life, you see the disciples who knew they should have more faith. They betray him. They deny him. They desert him. They abandon him. They're clueless. They're faithless. At Jesus' ultimate moment, they are not there for him. And yet still in that moment, Jesus goes to the cross. He dies for their lack of faithless, for their lack of faith, for their faithlessness. Let me say it this way. Even in the moment where the disciples were faithless, Jesus still goes to the cross. He still takes upon himself the ultimate storm of our sin. Jesus on the cross is enduring a storm. It's the storm of our sin. It's the storm of God's anger over sin. It's the storm of being separated from God. And Jesus takes all of that on them, on himself, as a substitute for his faithless disciples. And so we have to leave here, not with have more faith. We have to leave here seeing that we are faithless, and yet Jesus still endured the storm of the cross for us. Just think about this for a moment. How many storms have you been less than stellar in? How many times has your faith failed, panicked? How many moments have you been sinful, 
lived independent of God, left him on the shore. Think of all of those moments. And yet, even as you ponder that, your faithlessness, Jesus endured the ultimate storm and he endured it for you and for me. That's what we must leave seeing, what, who we are and what he has done for us. And then as we see him enduring that ultimate storm, we can have confidence that no, if Jesus, if you took on the greatest storm for us, any lesser storm, I know you will be faithful to me and you will hang on and you will continue to walk with me through any other storm that I face. Let me pray as we finish today. Jesus, we see our own faithlessness Oh, but we see your faithfulness, setting your eyes on Jerusalem, going to the cross, knowing that you would be betrayed and deserted, denied and abandoned. And God, that's our story. But God, we pause and we worship you for all that you endured for us on the cross. And God, may you fill our hearts with a sense of who you are and what you've done for us. And God, as we see all that you endured for us, God, we leave with confidence knowing that whatever comes this week, you've already done far greater for us, knowing that you will be present with us and walk with us. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen and amen. We always end every service at Harbor with um, uh, four words. And so in a moment, I'll say those, but we've got a little picture on the side screens in case you missed it last week. We had Luke's baptism this week, praise God. Last week was Leighton's baptism there in the bottom right. And then we had a spontaneous baptism. And some of you may have missed that. So I just wanted to make sure we highlighted it. And as we think about Harbor, we are sent. We just wanted to celebrate through this picture how God, how we trust that God may be working in our midst, that we are going, making disciples and working towards seeing people be baptized. So let me invite you to stand. Let me read a scripture and then we'll dismiss with the four words that the picture reminds us of. This verse is from Philippians 4, 7. It's especially for those of you who may be in a storm right now. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, may it be a guard over your heart and mind today in Christ Jesus. In harbor, we are sent.